Good morning from WKYT News, and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. I'm Bill Bryant, and Happy New Year. And later, Peter Baniak, the editor and publisher of the Lexington Herald Leader, will join us. We'll look back at the unusual year of 2020 and look ahead to what could be next for Kentucky and for journalism. From the paper that recently left its landmark downtown location, Peter Baniak with us shortly. We'll also share some clips of Amber Philpott's interview this week with Governor Andy Bashir and First Lady Brittany Bashir. But first, State Auditor Mike Harmon is here with us. Harmon's team is concerned that Kentucky doesn't know exactly how much it owes for unemployment benefits. It comes at a time when the state legislature is about to put together a state budget. We'll talk about that and a couple of other topics with State Auditor Mike Harmon, a Republican who is from Danville and whose slogan has been, follow the data. Auditor Harmon, welcome. We appreciate you being with us today. Good morning, Bill. It's great to be here with you and Happy New Year. And to you. Thank you. Well, your team uh, recently concluded an audit of the state's uh, unemployment obligations and, and found what we understand to be a bit of a murky situation. There's a little bit of inconsistencies. You know, Bill, every year the state uh, publishes through the Kentucky, um, you know, basically through the Kentucky Finance and Administration Cabinet, they publish what's known as the CAFR, the Comprehensive Annual Financial Report. And every year we audit to that report. And typically every year in the past, we have had what's known as an unmodified uh, audit, uh, which basically means it's kind of a clean audit. This year, when we were in the process of <clears throat> doing the audit on the CAFR, uh, there was a determination that the information they were providing us specifically for the unemployment compensation fund uh, was inconsistent and they were not able to verify. The numbers were kind of all over the board early on. They had told us the amount that they still owed to claimants uh, was several hundred million. I think it was like 700 million. Uh, then they told us 2 billion. And then finally they settled on a little over, I think, 511 million. So with those inconsistencies, uh, them not truly knowing and not being able to support that numbers, we had to do what's known as a qualified opinion, which basically means that in that particular area, the other areas were fine other than the business type entity, which is the un unemployment compensation fund is contained within there. Uh, with the exception of those two, we were able to give a clean audit, but, it, but as a whole, we had to do a qualified opinion specifically yeah. for that particular concern. The other thing that we also noticed uh, was that early on, uh, during the pandemic, they had taken a lot of the stops off to try to, you know, get checks out. But at the same time, what that caused uh, was the opportunity for much more fraud because they weren't overseeing it. And I, we understand that uh, they were extremely overwhelmed. It was a, a, a unique situation. Uh, and the the through the CARES Act, there were three new, three major types of unemployment in addition to the traditional one. So, you know, we saw, as you said, the historic unemployment, and we all know that there were the lines and the complaints and the delays and people getting their benefits. Uh, are you concerned or are you saying that it is okay in this particular situation that some uh, corners were cut uh, in that effort to get to checks to people quickly? No, I'm not saying that it's okay. I do still have concerns. I mean, I still get, of course, you know, I served 13 years in the Kentucky House before I became auditor back in 2015. So I still get people who have concerns, you know, for constituent services. And I've still, <clears throat> still have had people reach out to me even just recently indicating they're still waiting for their unemployment from all the way back to March. And, you know, I understand the system was overwhelmed, but really it's, this is unacceptable. 
we need to make sure that people get their checks and the other thing we need to do we make need to make sure we have accurate numbers and the reason that is one because we need obviously need people to have the checks but also you know uh, the general assembly is going back into session coming up here uh, very soon in january and it's important for them to have accurate information uh, when they do that and because it's a budget session since the last session would normally be a budget session but they only did a one-year budget so they're doing the follow-up this year so mr auditor this is what you know about unemployment because you looked at that uh, very carefully in this case under this uh, this uh, regular audit uh, but uh, you know could there be other areas in this, uh, you know, nearly year-long state of emergency uh, that has impacted uh, Kentucky's ability to uh, to carefully watch its tax dollars with the federal money that has uh, been uh, flowing through with the local governments uh, doing what they have done with the funds that have come down? Well, specifically in the CAFR, this was the one that we had the greatest concern. Obviously, there, there are probably others as well. And one of the things I would encourage your viewers uh, this was our audit of the CAFR, but we will be releasing what we call the SWAC, the Statewide Single Audit of Kentucky, in the next couple of months. And when that occurs, uh, what you will end up uh, finding is that's where we show the testing we did and some of the items that we found during that testing. Uh, and I encourage people to watch that because there will be some additional findings for them to review at that time. Has the pandemic itself affected your ability to get audits done? You couldn't get people necessarily into the locations you normally do. Uh, maybe people were not available uh, in those offices uh, where you would go and, uh, and look at records and ask questions. We've been relatively blessed, <clears throat> you know, early on, even before the pandemic, we had started moving towards uh, having people do uh, telework at least one day a week. Uh, so it was easy to flip the switch pretty quickly. Uh, obviously there was a concern early on in being able to get enough information for them to continue to work. Uh, we worked through that logistics and to be honest with you, we barely missed a beat. We've got a great team and uh, we just figured it out and moved forward with it. Do you have priorities for the state legislature coming in? Uh, oftentimes uh, you have some things that you, uh, you know, loopholes you would like for them to close or things that uh, you would like to um, uh, empower your office to do. We do. Uh, we, we have a what we call a reorganization bill. Uh, we made some uh, changes by executive order that we would like to see codified, just basically helping the office be even more efficient than it is. But there's some other things, you know, we've always looked at ways to try to help counties and states save money on their audit cost. And we've got another bill that we're looking at, hopefully we can get through, that will combine uh, the different type of tax audits. There's multiple tax audits, whether it's unmined coal or uh, gas and oil, or whether it's you know, just your standard tax audit. We'd like to try to roll at least the audit process of that together, try to save them some cost on their audits. When you hear something like the, the, the Brent Spence Bridge project, you know, with emergency repair up there was $12 million. Apparently they got it done for about half of that. Uh, does that uh, uh, gladden your heart to hear or do you still uh, uh, need to look at some things uh, uh, with the project uh, that came out of the blue like that? Well, I think any time that we can save money, it does gladden my heart. You know, our responsibility here at the auditor's office is just to make sure that the money was spent efficient, effective and ethically. Uh, within the, you know, complying to the laws that are currently on the books. So, but yes, it does my heart good if we only spend half of what we think it will. In the year ahead, what are uh, some uh, key things people should be looking for from your office? 
Well, as I said earlier, I think people should be looking towards the SWAG, the statewide single audit of Kentucky. Uh, I think there'll be some additional findings that people will be interested in seeing. Of course, we do you know close to 600 audits a year on a regular basis, uh, everything from special exams to the statewide single audit of the CAFR we just talked about. Uh, so they just need to watch, and certainly I would encourage them to follow us on social media. And as you said earlier, we always talk about just following the data. You are uh, term limited in your present office, although you, uh, you have about three more years to go, but uh, there's been some stir that uh, you're looking ahead to 2023, possibly uh, considering a race for governor. Uh, is that the case? I'm looking heavily towards that. <clears throat> of course, today I'm here speaking on behalf of the auditor's office as auditor, but, but yes, I'm looking heavily towards that. And certainly whenever I finalize a decision along that line, we'll reach out to you and love to have another conversation. You'd have other options, obviously, uh, but uh, it is uh, apparently your intention to uh, to continue in elective office if uh, if the voters will have you, right? If the voters will have me, and uh, of course, like I said, uh, we'll, we'll look, we're looking heavily towards that particular office, and uh, if we finalize on it, we will definitely let you know. But certainly, I've appreciated the support over the years. I've uh, been auditor for now going on five years and I served 13 years in the Kentucky General Assembly and so I'm very uh, uh, very thankful for those that have entrusted me uh, with the state and with their needs. Uh, it would be uh, uh, maybe some would consider it a leap uh, to, to uh, jump from the auditor's office to the, to the governor's race. Uh, do you see it that way? Not necessarily. Uh, you know, I've read several articles that auditors are probably best uh, designed to be able to make that leap just because they have a greater understanding of the operations of government. Um, but you know, certainly we will see. I've jokingly said that you don't make a lot of friends as auditor, uh, but I had a coach one time say that if you want friends, uh, get a dog. So we do have a dog, but I do say that jokingly. But I, I think most people who know me uh, know that we don't hurt anyone. We don't give anybody a pass. We just simply follow the data. And uh, you know, I carry those same type of uh, ideals wherever I go. State Auditor Mike Harmon, thanks for being with us. We do appreciate it very much. Appreciate you, Bill. Stay with us on Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll be back. Lexington Herald leader, editor, and publisher Peter Baniak will join us next. We'll talk about the state of journalism in the Commonwealth and nationwide. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers from WKYT. What a time 2020 was for journalism nationwide and locally. Reporters had to innovate quickly and in many cases work from home to cover history. The pandemic dominated the headlines. So did civil unrest in the wake of the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And it was also very challenging for traditional news outlets as consumers found themselves bombarded with social media posts that they didn't know if they could trust. The news organization came to realize that that like never before their brand and credibility were on the line with everything they reported. The Lexington Herald leader has covered news in the bluegrass for 150 years. This last year has been one of change and challenge, including moving out of its landmark building at the edge of downtown Lexington. Peter Baniak is uh, serving in the position now as the editor and general manager of the paper. He's been with the Herald leader for a quarter of a century himself, which I discovered through a column that he wrote a few weeks back. Peter, thanks for taking a little time to be with us. We appreciate it. 
thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Quarter of a century makes me sound really <laughs> Doesn't old. Doesn't it though? Yeah. <laughs> How do you describe uh, covering news and overseeing the covering of news in 2020 is that we were all uh, uh, keenly aware that we were living history? Uh, I, you know, this has just been the most extraordinary um, year of news that I, you know, that I've ever been associated with. Um, and, you know, every year you sort of look at it and say, well, you know, this was a historic year. Or you can look at something and say that was a historic thing. But this year it was just it was just nonstop. And sort of if you think back to, um, you know, you think back to March uh, and how much things have changed in how we approach our job and and. Um, journalists can't, you know, we, we have shifted entirely to remote work. We shifted to that almost immediately in March and, and stopped gathering in the newsroom, which is strange. Newsrooms are part of the lifeblood um, of, of, you know, of newspapers, of, of, of um, TV news outlets, of, you know, newsrooms are sort of where you gather and you have creative exchange of ideas. And so that was a huge shift for how we work and how we approach our jobs and how we collaborate and all of that has had to shift to virtual um, and be done virtually like in a lot of offices but it, it is um, very challenging for journalists who you know are very much on the front lines of the news so um, for things that we had to be out covering remotely as, as I'm sure with with you all um, we had to be very co more conscious of safety than ever before and making sure that we were keeping our visual journalists and our, our reporters safe um, you know, uh, making sure that we were providing them with equipment, which was particularly a challenge in March and April when, when yeah. that pr protective equipment was well, scarce. And there was just so much to cover. You know, uh, yeah. the, the spring and summer was such a, a confluence of issues with the pandemic, of course, and the, uh, the push back then to the closures that we saw and the unrest that we saw as issues were brought to forth after uh, the uh, Breonna Taylor case uh, came to light. Uh, how did you manage to keep your staff uh, focused and, uh, and, and really ready for anything? Ready for anything is right. Um, in, in addition to the two things you just mentioned, I mean, you, you know, of course, you have the pan pandemic, which is sort of overarching everything, and it changes how you work, it changes how you cover the news. It is this constant flow of, of, of stories, and just when you know, you think back to the summer and things started to seem to ebb a little bit in terms of the amount of cases, and then you have the second wave and now the third wave, uh, and it's constantly changing and shifting, and it affects every aspect of life um, and every aspect of, of the news that we cover from you know politics to um to the restaurants that we cover and, and the food and dining scene or the entertainment scene or arts and culture um to how we live our lives uh and then uh, as as you mentioned you know you had nightly protests in may and june and july uh related to um, the brianna taylor case uh and policing and uh questions of racial justice uh and then you roll into the fall and we have an election unlike Right. An election, a national election, unlike an election we've, you know, we've, we've ever seen, and 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 that continues. Uh, so it's just been one um, sort of continuous, uh, sort of big story on top mm -hmm. of another big story on top of another big story. Um, and I think it has been a real challenge. It's been um, times exhausting for our new staff. Not seeing each other is, is uh, makes it a challenge. Um, not seeing each other in person. Um, coordinating, you know, shifting all of our news meetings to digital, um, using the tools that are available to us, like uh, Slack, uh, to try to communicate more, mm -hmm. but um, uh, and to communicate in real time. Uh, it, it is required required a real shift in how we think, uh, how we communicate, how we approach the news, um, 
and and uh, you know, we yeah. just had our our virtual holiday party last week. <laughs> right. um, it's those sorts of things that you don't sort of think about how much you miss being together in person. Peter, uh, how does a, a, a traditional news organization uh, such as your own and and, and others with uh, uh, you know a good name to protect uh, survive in a time when people are seeing uh, three line reports on uh, Twitter, or social media, uh, rumor mongering on the internet uh, goes around, uh, and and many you know call the mainstream media fake news how do you operate in in that environment you operate by providing information that is um, that that sort of stands out above the the, the noise if you will um, that is verified that is reported that is credible um, you know I think we and and you've seen this time and time again over the last several years um, you know it you provide the truth and the facts and the reporting to back it up uh, and um, it, it is challenging, uh, more challenging now than ever, um, to sort of stand out about the no above all that noise. And you know, people can through social media um, sort of set up their own self-selecting bubbles of information if they want to. But I think, um, particularly at a time like this, in a, in a crisis like this, people turn to us. They turn to names, credible names, uh, for reporting that they could trust. Um, about what was going on because things were changing so quickly throughout the year and continue to do so, mm -hmm. um, you know, as things were shutting down. And, and, and you see, you know, I'm really proud of the staff, of the work that my staff has done. Um, I think they have done extraordinary work this year in an extraordinary time uh, under really difficult conditions. I think they've put themselves on the line, they put their safety on the line at times um, to be out there letting people know what is actually going on um, and to provide them with, with facts and data and useful information, but I think there are other great examples um, throughout Kentucky, and, and probably one of the best is the Cynthiana Democrat. When, when um, if you think back to the very early stages of the pandemic, when um, there was one of the first outbreaks was mm -hmm. in Harrison, uh, Harrison County, in, in Kentucky, and that very small paper there, you know, published a special section that they distributed for free to everyone in the county, full of information about what they needed to know. Um, for yeah. their own health. It's quite a public service. Yeah, I think that you've seen some extraordinary work and you know, we and other newspapers, you know, we lowered our paywall um, on a lot of, of, of news about the pandemic and the coronavirus because it's a huge public service and we approach the story that way. Well, Peter, let me ask you this. You know, news organizations have to be torn between reporting what people want to know and what they need to know. In this case, uh, in, in, in the case of the pandemic, oftentimes it's been both. But, you know, a celebrity story may get all the clicks while a, a budget matter at City Hall or the state capitol can be dry. But how important is it to uh, serve up what matters along with uh, what grabs the attention? Uh, you know, I think it's really important. And I think the, the, the coronavirus um, coverage of this and the nonstop nature of it has really shown that. I mean, people have um, responded to our coverage uh, in, in a really, to me, um, encouraging way. I think they see the value of that coverage. Um, and, you know, that's everything from providing the information about the daily updates to, you know, personal protective equipment to the rules as they change to doing things like on our site, you know, we provided a and still have a, a guide to, um, uh, as restaurants are suffering, suffering through this really difficult time, you know, to, to who's providing takeout and how does that work? Mm -hmm. um, and I think people have, have, have responded to that. We've seen our, our digital subscriber um, grow 
uh, throughout the year. Um, and I think that that shows to me that people want that information. Mm -hmm. They want verified, reported journalism that that is credible. Let me ask this, uh, you know, a change is constant. I remember the 1983 merger of the uh, Lexington Herald and the Lexington Leader, a morning and afternoon uh, newspapers uh, combining there into one, that big production facility that was at Maine and Midland for all of those years, a newspaper's home for four decades. Um, you've moved out of there now. I know that there was a lot of nostalgia when that happened. Uh, what is next for the Herald Leader in terms of a physical presence uh, where people, uh, uh, you know, might know that it's the, the headquarters of the newspaper? Right. Uh, um, I guess the first thing I would say is I just want to be really, really clear. We are not going anywhere. Um, and I, I know that I've gotten some queries from people when they see the news about us. Um, moving out of the building. Um, we are still here. We are still in Lexington. Um, we are not going anywhere. We plan to continue to report the news uh, and provide advertising information um, in Lexington, Central, and Eastern Kentucky for a good long time. Um, our reporters are still, you know, are in our advertising folks are working from home. I'm working from home um, for now. Uh, I would expect, uh, you know, we're going to be looking for new office space sometime in 2021 when it's safe. Um, to gather people together again. Uh, and um, I expect us to continue to be a strong and important journalistic presence here for a long time to come. Do you consider that, the, or is, is it likely there will be a, a printed product for some time to come or does it at some point go all digital? Um, it's hard to say. I, you know, we, we've seen um, in the last year, last two years, enormous growth of people who are digital only subscribers. Um, which has been really encouraging to see. Um, but there are now so many ways for people to get the news from us. There's print. Uh, people can get it on our website, Kentucky.com. There are a lot of people um, who read the e-edition, uh, which is an, an exact electronic replica of the printed newspaper. Um, obviously, there's social media and our social media channels. There's so many, you know, we have tens of thousands of people who subscribe to our email newsletters uh, to get the news directly in their inbox. So there is a... Um, there are so many ways for people to get that information. We've reached so many readers um, now uh, than, say, we did in the in the mid '90s. Um, so you know, our print numbers. Yes, we have fewer fewer people who get print only, um, but there are still tens of thousands of people who rely on that printed product. Right. Well. Um, future will tell, right? <laughs> Peter Baniak, thank you so much. He runs the Lexington Herald Leader, and we appreciate you uh, taking a few minutes uh, with us today. Thank you. I appreciate the time. And stay with us in just a moment. We will hear from Governor Bashir and First Lady Brittany Bashir here on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. WKYT's Amber Philpot had a chance this week to catch up with Governor Andy Bashir and First Lady Brittany Bashir after this year that nobody could have imagined. The pandemic has been life-changing for everybody, including those trying to lead the Commonwealth through it. Well, as we talk about Christmas, Governor, you have called the vaccine that we now have in this state a Christmas miracle. You both received that early gift before the holidays. I want to start with why it was important for you both as the first uh, family to be vaccinated. Uh, and what message did you hope that you sent to Kentuckians? So for months, I've been telling people that once this vaccine was available, that I would take it. Uh, in front of the cameras to show people that it's safe. 
And not only did I take it, but, but Brittany took it as well, which I hope shows people that this vaccine is a miracle. It is safe, it is highly effective, and it's gonna help us defeat uh, this virus. Now, we need to make sure that we can get 75 plus percent of all Kentuckians vaccinated. So that means we've gotta build the confidence uh, out there. And I hope that by Brittany and I being willing to, to take this, we've shown people that not only are we gonna say it's safe, uh, but we're gonna prove that it's safe by, by taking it ourselves. This question is for you both. Uh, this time last year, you were both settling into your roles as governor and first lady. If you had to sum up this first year in office in just a word, what would it be for each of you? And, and explain that to me. I think surprising is, is a good word because we have had a lot of curveballs thrown at us as a family and as a commonwealth. And so how we dealt with those things as they came along, you know, everything from school shutting down to restaurants shutting down to friends and family becoming COVID positive, um, having scares ourselves and trying to talk through what would happen uh, with our kids who were really scared. So I think, um, you know, one of the great things that has come out of this is um, how resilient our kids have shown us they are and how they are able to adapt to changes around them um, to the life that they're used to having. So I think surprising. Uh, I'd say it's been uh, humbling. Now I thought I knew what this job was. Uh, my dad having served for eight years and then uh, three months into my term, uh, the, the pandemic starts. Uh, it's been humbling because this virus and, and what it does, what we still don't know about it and what we didn't know about it uh, especially in March and April, but it's also been humbling to see uh, the people of Kentucky and, and what good people we are, how we're willing to come together, how we're willing to, to sacrifice. I mean, there was a day when a nine-year-old girl sent me her allowance for the Team Kentucky Fund because she wanted to help other people uh, around her. I mean, that's, that's really humbling. It's really special. And that is Kentucky Newsmakers. We want to thank you for joining us, and we'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT This Morning. You make it a good week ahead.